0: retirement now dot the following program is sponsored by know the truth incorporated today on know the truth from philip de
1: we can be all truth and no love we can be all grace and no law we can be all work and no rest we can be all head and no heart and one of the tricks that we've got to learn one of the skills we've got to master in life is living with tensions striking a balance. That's an indispensable knack. That's a skill worth cultivating in life.
0: on the playground understand the importance of balance when they're playing on the teeter-totter. If the weight isn't properly distributed, someone will end up sky high or down on the ground. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's message continues to explain the importance of applying God's wisdom so that we live well-balanced lives. Philip is cautioning us against going to extremes even when it comes to living godly, righteous lives. We're examining our motives and methods as we learn to trust God through good times and bad. Here's Philip.
1: You and I have got to learn to live balanced lives, to avoid the extremes. There is a balance to be struck, and the book of Ecclesiastes will help us to that end. And In fact, chapter 7, verses 15 and following are really a call to keep your balance in a topsy-turvy world. At the end of the first half of this chapter, verses 13 and 14, he also called us to keep our balance, didn't he? Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed one as well as the other. You and I have got to learn to navigate the good times and the bad times. And wisdom provides us a path right down the middle of those extremes. So let's begin to look at this passage. We're going to look at the first four verses. We're going to call this section the balance of wisdom. So let's begin to look at verse 15. In these verses, King Solomon sets before us one of the aggravating anomalies of life, and it is the prosperity of the wicked. Look what he says in verse 15. There is a just man who perishes in spite of his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in spite of his wickedness. That's an infuriating fact, and it discourages us. It challenges our faith in God that indeed the wicked prosper while the just suffer. doesn't seem right, especially when you read Verses like Exodus 20, verse 12, that if you'll honor your mother and father, it will be well with you and your days on the land will be long. And that seems to be the issue in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 24. The fear of the wicked will come upon him and the desire of the righteous will be granted. That's what you would expect. Verse 28, the hope of the righteous will be gladness. The expectation of the wicked will perish. But as Solomon looks out on life, He says, that's not what I see all the time. And he says, how do you explain that? And Solomon addresses it with what I call a false assumption and a false presumption. He warns against a false assumption, verse 16, and he warns against a false presumption, verse 17. We're just gonna look at the first one here in verse 16. In the light of the fact that the just perish and the wicked persist, Solomon says, do not be overly righteous nor overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? And then he'll go on to say, do not be overly wicked nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? These verses are notoriously difficult to interpret. They're used to support a theology of the golden mean. You know, that we're not all bad and we're not all good and God understands that. But that's not the meaning of the text. That's a twisting of its truth. Here's what we need to do. We need to look at this text in its context, okay? What's its context? The perplexing irregularities within God's government and providence. Solomon began that theme in verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Have you ever come to a point where you can't piece together God's plan? Where what God allows doesn't make sense to you? And one of those things might be verse 15, the just perishing and the wicked prospering. And it's in that context that Solomon says, but don't become overly righteous. Don't become overly wise. How can God allow the righteous to suffer? It's a good question. Here's an answer, but it's a false answer. It's a false assumption. Maybe they weren't righteous enough. Okay? Because remember it seems that in traditional theology and some of the wisdom writings, there seems to be this formula that if you obey God, it results in blessing. And there are many passages that certainly point to that. And that's generally the case, but not in all cases. And so you've got to be careful. What God has made crooked, you can't make straight. Sometimes God permits and allows things that seems to go against His moral will or against His perfect plan for His people. And one of the ditches you've got to avoid, one of the extremes you've got to avoid is to conclude, you know what? The righteous that perished weren't righteous enough. Therefore, if I want to avoid what they went through, I need to redouble my efforts to be obedient. I need to be more righteous. And so you correct and become overly righteous under the assumption that if you obey, nothing bad will happen. And Solomon says, that's a false assumption righteousness does not exempt us from suffering. The righteous don't necessarily suffer because they're disobedient. That may be the case, and that can be the case, but not necessarily. In fact, often the opposite can be true. And Job's a great example of this. Sometimes the righteous suffer because they're righteous. Job becomes the target of Satan's attacks, right? And what do we read of Job in chapter one? He was a blameless man. There are a number of reasons why God allows us to suffer. And one of them is He allows us to suffer just to test the genuineness of our faith. And Solomon is reminding us of this fact. He wants us to, to be careful that faced with the righteous and their trouble, we don't conclude that they're in trouble because they're not righteous enough. So what you've got to do is become overly righteous. But that'll get you nowhere. What God has made crooked, no man can make straight. Being overly wise or overly righteous doesn't change a thing. And that's the trap you've got to avoid. And it's something you and I need to remind ourselves of. Neither life nor faith can be reduced to a formula. This was the mistake of Job's friends. They interpreted Job's predicament pretty simplistically. Things are bad, therefore Job is bad. And so in Job chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, they charge him with sin. But we already know he was blameless. It wasn't his unrighteousness that brought about the trouble, it was his righteousness. They feel, and we often feel the grasp, that God allows bad things to happen to righteous people. Just ask Joseph, just ask Job, and just take a look at the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. Obedience is not a way of forcing God's hand. Our doing right doesn't suspend God's right to be sovereign. And it certainly doesn't eradicate our fallenness because while we strive for holiness, at the end of the day, according to verse 20 of Ecclesiastes 7, there is not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. So even as we strive for compliance with the character of God and submission to the will of God, we're not going to ever get to a place where we have eradicated our fallenness. And with our fallenness comes corruption and comes complication. And that's why becoming overly righteous doesn't solve everything, let alone anything. And so we're being reminded here, and I think this is important, when we're in trouble. Our faith must be fixed on the righteousness of God, the rightness of His purposes, His holy character, and the attendant actions, not the results of our righteousness. Okay? I've told you this story before of a man called David Ireland who was diagnosed with a crippling neurological disease that would eventually take his life. And he was often asked, do you believe God will heal you And he often replied, do I really need to be healed? In a book, Letters to an Unborn Child, he explains his thinking, quote, I'm firmly convinced that God is extremely good. That's where you do want to fix your faith. That's where you really want to have some kind of settled conviction. Then when everything is turned upside down and the lights go out and you can't kind of feel your way in life and you're not sure what God's up to, in fact, it doesn't seem right or just, The wrong people are on the top. You've sought to kind of live for God and you're wondering then why why would you reward me or visit me with this? Make sure that you're firmly convinced that God is extremely good and that he does love and understand all the world and all the people in it. David Ireland goes on. Does he want to heal me? I can't even answer that. My faith is in the genuineness of God, not in whether he will do this or that to demonstrate his goodness. I like that. In fact, let me paraphrase it a little. You and I need to put our faith in the genuineness of God and not whether he will do this or that when we do the other thing. Remember what we said, that our obedience is not a way of forcing God's hand. Our doing right doesn't suspend his right to allow bad things to happen to righteous people. And that's why Solomon says, don't become overly righteous. Don't become overly wise. Why should you appall yourself, astonish yourself, disappoint yourself. Sometimes what God has made crooked, you and I cannot make straight, but we've got to be convinced of His genuine goodness. And we've got to trust Him and believe in Him during those times. I could leave it there, but just for a couple of moments... Let me just apply this in in two practical directions here, and then we'll pick this up next week. One, I believe that what we have just stated and argued for says something to the purveyors of prosperity theology, okay? That's the theology that says that, you know what, if you and I obey, if you and I sacrifice, if you and I, you know, go that second mile, then it's, it's our birthright to enjoy health and wealth, you know? if we'll give God our last dollar, here's what God will do for us. You know, if we'll sow some act of obedience, we're going to reap some harvest that'll be a blessing to our body or be a, be a windfall for our business or be a great blessing to our family. And, and I think that's dangerous. I think it's false. Don't be overly righteous. Don't think that your actions bind the will of God or paint God into a corner. It's not a done deal that the wise will automatically ride the gravy train while the wicked automatically suffer a train wreck. It's clearly not the case The just man perishes in spite of his righteousness and the wicked man prolongs his life in spite of his wickedness. The wrong people sometimes get to enjoy the health and the wealth of this life. You and I need to remind ourselves that following Jesus leads to a crucifixion, that all all the disciples were martyred, almost to a man. There's no slick formula that exists that produces heaven on earth. And if you listen to the health and well teachers on television or on the radio, they've got a slick formula. You know, God is almost presented as a kind of vending machine. You put your token in and you get your candy bar out. But that's not true. God owes us nothing. And God puts himself in debt to no man. And while He is genuinely good. Sometimes his ways are past finding out. And sometimes he allows the righteous to be afflicted, not because they're unrighteous, but for the very fact that they are righteous. And he wants to test their faith and show the world what God can do through a broken person. Don't believe the lie of the prosperity gospel. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 29, what it's ours not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Philippians 3 verse 8, what does Paul say? I have suffered the loss of all things. Then what did you do wrong, Paul? Actually, I did nothing wrong. I deliberately suffered the loss of all things. I was willing to give them up. In my radical commitment to Jesus Christ, I gave them up. I lost friends. I lost prestige. I lost position within my community. But I gave them up because what I was gaining was Christ. And when you understand who He is, what He gives, and what He will ultimately produce in us throughout all eternity, anything you give up is nothing. And said, I count it all rubbish. All the stuff that this world counts as important, Paul says, it's just a rubbish heap compared to what you get in Christ. But there's no health and wealth gospel in Philippians 3, is there? Paul suffers the loss of all things. He tells us in 2 Corinthians that he was shipwrecked and naked and hungry and he was at the peril of robbers and false brethren. But again, he suffered it all because that's what Christians have to do sometimes. They have to suffer for righteousness sake. But there's a second thought, and this is where we kneel it down. I think this is also a warning against religious zealotry. We may even have our own form of this. You know what? to win God's love, to win God's favor, or to know that, you know, I have God on my side. We go the second mile. We do the extra thing. We get involved in our own religious zealotry. We become overly zealous and overly righteous. and That seeps and creeps into our walk with God. And we start majoring on the minors. Isn't that what the Pharisees did in Matthew 23, 23 to 24? And Jesus has to tell them that. You know what, you overlook the weighty matters of the law, justice and mercy, and you drill down into the small stuff. Paul has to write to the Colossians and tell them about the sufficiency of Christ, the fullness of God's saving work in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ brings to us when we're in him. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him, and when we're in him, we're complete. But what do we do? Well, then we add our new moons and our Sabbaths. And we add our diets and what we can eat and what we can touch and what we can't. Read about it in Colossians chapter two. And Paul has to chastise them for their legalism and being overly righteous and fastidious in their faith and and unscrupulous in their dealings with people. We can pad our spiritual resume as if Jesus isn't enough. And that's a danger. Listen to Derek Tidball as he speaks to this. Some are so spiritually intense as to be unreal. Have you ever met a Christian like that? they're so intense that they're unreal. They're so introspective that they spend their time hunting down sin within and sin without. And they so distance themselves from the world that they end up on a dangerous course, fastidious, isolated, petty, judgmental. He goes on to say this, so some Christians even refuse to go on holiday, believing it's a waste of time and money, an indulgence of the flesh. Some refuse to turn to a doctor when ill on the grounds that it's an indication of a lack of belief in God. Some refuse to permit Christmas trees, seeing them as symbols of pagan festivals. Others will not allow their children's imagination to be stimulated by fiction, since it's not true, or conjuring because it smacks of magic. There is little enjoyment of God's creation in such an approach. And ultimately, he says, sooner or later, the pressure cooker will blow up and splatter the contents around the kitchen. It's true. I've met them, I've seen them, and I've watched the train wrecks, majoring on the miners, having their own fences and standards of morality that take you away from the sufficiency of Christ, our acceptance at the foot of the cross, the justifying work of God in the Lord Jesus. You've got to avoid extremes. You've got to avoid, you know, spiritual showmanship I like the story that's told of Spurgeon by Spurgeon, that he was once chastised by a Methodist minister who found him smoking. It might shock some of us to realize, but Spurgeon for a time did smoke. There's a story that tells us later on that he went by a shop in London and saw an advertisement, this is the tobacco that Spurgeon smokes. (laughs) And he decided, you know, well, that's maybe going too far and leading people in the areas that is his own personal choice. That's the story. Uh, we don't know if that's folklore, but we do know he smoked. We think he gave it up at some point, but at one point he smoked. He liked a cigar. And one Methodist holiness preacher got him one day and buttonholed him and, and said, brother, you shouldn't be doing this. And, and in fact, I would challenge you to give it up. Spurgeon said, you know, I've thought about that, and he says, I've said to myself, and I've made it a, you know, a, a line of demarcation that I've ever smoked to access, I'm going to give it up. And the Methodist pastor looked at him and said, well, what do you mean, what's smoking to access? And Spurgeon said, when I find myself smoking two cigars at the same time, I'll give it up. That's access. Well, what is access? And we're all in danger of becoming overly zealous in areas. And we're motivated foolishly by the idea that, you know what? God's going to bless that. God's going to protect us because of that. It's good and it's gone amok. In fact, I came across a quote by Mark Twain. I thought this was really good. He said this, Having spent a considerable amount of time with good people, I can understand why Jesus liked to be with sinners and tax collectors. I wonder if that's the overly religious, the overly zealous, the overly righteous. Solomon says, look, be careful. When you're at a place where you can't seem to fit what's going on in your life with your theology, or at least for some of us it's a partial theology and that's what gets us into trouble, then what do you do? Well, don't become impatient. Impatient. And don't become angry and don't become nostalgic and don't become religiously zealous as if that's the solution. God loves us despite the things he puts us through. And sometimes he puts us through those things because he loves us. And I'm not saying this in all cases, but in some cases it's our righteousness that actually invites and incites the suffering as God tests the genuineness of our faith and proves to you and I that we can fix our faith on His genuine goodness towards His people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this reminder. We realize that we're always in danger of falling into a ditch. We're always in danger of overreacting and overcorrecting. Lord, when we find ourselves in that place where we scratch our heads and we wonder, why do the just perish and the wicked prosper? And we wonder, Lord, why you allow this. And we we wonder, Lord, because it tests our faith in your goodness and in the rewards of obedience. Help us to step back. Help us to become more patient. Help us to settle down in your presence. Help us not to look back, but look up. Surely, Lord, help us not to fall into the trap of thinking if we would just do a little bit more, God won't allow this to happen. Lord, help us not to become overly righteous. Help us not to become overly wise. Help us not to disappoint ourselves there. Help us to realize our righteousness is found in another, and you will reward our righteous actions, but not always in this life and not immediately. Lord, help us to hold all of these truths in tension. Help us to keep our balance for Jesus' sake. Amen.
0: Philip DeCourcy offers a prayer we can all use as we rely on Jesus to keep our balance. You're listening to Know the Truth. If you missed any portion of today's message, you can hear the complete broadcast online at ktt.org. You can also listen to Know the Truth on the KTT app and podcast. And thanks for remembering that you're financial gifts that make these listening platforms possible. When you give, you're helping us reach listeners like Justin. Who recently wrote I love Philip's teaching in this crazy world he gives hope and helps equip me to stand firm in God's Word he reminds me of the wonderful riches I have as a believer in Jesus Christ well it's exciting to hear from Justin and many others who listen and support know the truth it demonstrates the importance of providing these daily Bible programs now today when you support know the truth with a donation of $20 or more we'll say thanks by sending you a book that Philip believes every Christian should own it's called The Strategy of Satan, and it's a manual for spiritual warfare. Author Warren Weersby reminds us not to underestimate the devil or the tools God has given us for victory. Be sure to request The Strategy of Satan when you support Know the Truth today with a donation of $20 or more. Just give us a call at 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. You can also send your gift to us by mail addressed to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And if it's the first time you've contacted us, we also invite you to request a bookmark we've designed. It's based on Philip's upcoming series titled Speak of the Devil. The bookmark describes the three keys to overcoming temptation. Get the free bookmark when you call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Come back tomorrow to learn more about keeping your balance in a topsy-turvy world. That's Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free.
1: Straight from scripture, that's what a trip to the Holy Land is. It's far more than a typical vacation. It's a place where, tucked away amid windswept deserts and rocky cliffs, is a journey into the origins of belief, where we can connect with the depth and power of our relationship with Jesus Christ. A trip to the Holy Land is a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience to a place that gives visual dimension to our faith. Register
0: today and let's experience Israel together. Go to wava.com, keyword Israel, or call me, Dennis Williams, at 703-807-2211. You cannot live wrong and die right. We cannot continue to sin and believe we are saved. I'm Pastor Ray Greenlee. Listen Monday through Friday to Pilgrim's Progress at 1 p.m. right here at WAVA 780. Salvation is freedom from sin.